This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Hey, everyone. Kevin Conde here, and on today's Clubhouse interview, Ashley Taylor and myself get the opportunity to talk to the talented and award-winning photographer, Rachel Owen. She has placed multiple times in the Portrait Masters Awards, as well as WPPI's print competition, and we go over her whole process from start to finish, from where she gets her inspiration, how she organizes and lays it out, to photographing and compositing all the necessary elements. And as an Adobe Photoshop certified expert, she gives us some fantastic nuggets of knowledge that we can use in our own workflow. Just sit back and relax, and let's get started with the wonderful Rachel Owen. Welcome everyone to the Portrait System Podcast Clubhouse Edition. My name is Kevin Conde, and I'm here with my co-host Ashley Taylor. If you are not familiar with the Portrait System, we are a portrait photography podcast that is powered by Sue Bright's Education. Nikki Klosser hosts our Monday episodes, and Ashley and I co-host our Clubhouse Edition, which is live here on the Clubhouse app every Friday at noon Pacific. And then our episodes are released on Thursdays. You can tune in on your favorite podcast app by searching for The Portrait System. Ashley, how are you doing this beautiful day? I am great, Kevin, and I'm so excited to be here again co-hosting with you, and I'm excited to introduce our guest for today, Rachel Owen. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're so glad to have you. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. 2022 starts off very quickly with award season, with the entries for the Portrait Masters opening January 15th through February 15th, and WPPI being right around the corner at the end of February. Because of that, we thought it would be a great to bring someone on who is familiar with both awards and talk about their process to creating highly rated work. So, you have had a few award-winning concepts between your pandemic series, your finding a voice, as well as your recent Ice King and Queen set. So to start us off, can you tell us the starting point of your ideas and concepts? What are you initially drawing inspiration from and deciding on what ideas to move forward with? 
Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I recently started working in series, which has been a lot of fun. That's kind of unusual for photographers, I'd say, at least in the industry that um, we come from. But as I was talking to more artists, um, they work in series, which I found out a few years ago. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because you can take one concept, but then how many different ways can you morph that concept to kind of change what it is that you're saying? Um, So I find the inspiration all over the place, but um, my pandemic series that I I did last year, which has done pretty well in competition so far, um, it kind of came from uh, 2020. I mean, that was rough. It was. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of and even 2021. Yeah. Um, but honestly, it was one of the biggest blessings I feel because it, for me, in the midst of all the turmoil, it really allowed me to have this quietness um, and just kind of in that quiet, let let images come to my mind um, that I was then able to create. So. Um, I guess that's kind of the start of, of where I get the inspiration. Um, the other thing that's kind of uh, probably unusual for me is I get a lot of inspiration, um, when I do like walking or running and I don't know if that's unique to me, but actually I was listening to a podcast by neuroscience and there is something to that, to, um, the oxygenation and the, the chemicals that are released in your brain, um, during physical activity. And uh, I get a lot of inspiration when I just kind of zone out and go for a long walk or run, too. Yeah, I think that's actually great advice. I kind of survived 2020 by taking these really long walks and clearing my brain. And I'm like a very cerebral person. Like, if you let me just like sit indoors all day and like work on the computer and stuff like that, that's what I would prefer. I think I would say I'd prefer to do that. But every time I like actually move my body and like, go out in nature, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like what humans are supposed, are supposed to, to do <laughs> to get inspiration. So sometimes I think like as photographers, especially studio photographers, where we're indoors a lot, editing, shooting inside, all the stuff, it is like a really great reminder, like go move your body, go like get in nature wherever you can, like actually look to the outside world. I think that's amazing <laughs> advice. Yeah. I'm glad you understand that because I, I didn't know if that would be a weird concept or not. But I mean, every time I have a problem that I can't solve, if I go out and get some exercise, usually by the end, the solution is coming to me. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's great advice, especially for me, because I I know that advice and I resist it like actively every day of my life. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want to stay inside like a little house cat. But like, yes, whenever I go do it, I know like I need to like get a tattoo that's like go outside, <laughs> move your body. <laughs> Um, but like for your series, like Ice Queen, or um, I know you have some historical figures as well. Like with things like that, like obviously that's so different from the pandemic, right? Like mm-hmm. how are you coming up with those particular inspirations or like things that may not exactly be attached to, I guess, modern current life, if that makes sense? Yeah, gotcha. So a lot of that, um, I'm actually drawing out everything. Um, so the inspiration will come, I guess, when I find a story or a fairy tale or a historical person that I'm really interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then usually doing a lot of um, research on them. So in the historical ones, I've got one on Copernicus. Um, there is a ton of hidden symbolization that's in that image. Um, and a lot of it is 
well, I can give you one example. Um, you know, he's so Copernicus was the first guy that discovered that um, the earth is actually revolving around the sun back mm-hmm. when everyone thought everything revolved around the earth. Um, and he was religious as well. And this was really upsetting to the religious community. So that picture is actually the portrayal of him in this moment when he realizes that he's made this huge discovery. And he's kind of like, okay, now do I let that discovery come out or do I keep it secret because people are going to be really upset about this? So there's um, the lit candle representing the new idea that's coming forward. And then there's the extinguished candle with the smoke kind of drifting away, um, representing Mm. what's going away. So that's, and then there's more symbolism. Like there's books in the background that kind of represent some of the parts of his life and um, his history growing up. So with those kind of things, I do a lot of research on, who and what it is that I'm trying to portray. Mm -hmm. Um, The Ice Queen was specifically for the CG Pro Prince billboard project, and they wanted something that was very eye-catching and something that had a lot of color and was really unique. Um, So... I, my makeup artist and I, my makeup artist is really incredible. We have had this Pinterest board of Ice Queen um, makeup images that she's wanted to do forever. So when we got the opportunity to do the billboard project, I was like, oh, let's throw the Ice Queen in there. Um, And then once I had that image done, I realized that it was a beautiful portrait and it was quite striking, but there wasn't a lot of story. So at that point, I went back in and researched some of the um, different fairy tales on the Ice Queen. And there was actually, um, I believe it's the Hans Christian Andersen version that has um, the Ice Queen was given this mirror and the mirror breaks and it's kind of how the evil comes out. So I actually added a mirror into that image, um, which is the storytelling part there. Hmm, interesting. So it sounds like you do a lot of research for these and are you like drawing out, like sketching out on paper by hand, like all the elements that you like before you actually start shooting it, how like how much pre-planning? Like you know you want those books and the Copernicus and the smoke and or and is it coming to you later? Does that make sense? Because that's like something that always confuses me with like these big um composited yeah intricate things like how much of it do you know ahead of time and how much comes into the picture later yeah that's a great question um so i am so typically an image will start with a vision board and that's kind of used to get all of my people on the same page so the makeup artist if there's any costume designers even the model so the vision board is going to have a color palette that we want to stay within so usually i have my primary colors and then a couple of secondary colors that i want to throw in just for pops um it will also have um sample images. Like I just take an open PSD and start throwing images in that I think like I collect them either on my phone or, um, you know, I might find a statue somewhere. I'm like, oh, that's a really great pose or I love that hand position. So then I'll cut out just the hand and attach that into the vision board. Um, But it'll have costuming poses, different lighting scenarios that I want to try. So basically it's got the general concept in it. And um, I, at the moment, I probably have a dozen of those just sitting on my computer waiting to be done someday. Um, So when the idea comes to me, I find that I've got to get it like out of my brain and onto some kind of paper quickly or I'll never remember it. 
Uh Um, so those, those are sitting around for a while. And then once we've kind of picked the date for the shoot and I've got the people, then I will actually go through and physically draw out, okay, this is how I want them posed in the scene. This is where this is going to go. This is where this light's going to go. Um, so I know 90%, like I have a very good picture in my mind of how I want it to be. I've learned though, especially with composition. I often like to move things around in the computer later. So like, I'd be like, oh, I love this base, but I want it to go three inches this way because it's running into the wall. So I often will photograph those elements separately because I know I want to make little tweaks in it at the end. That's so fascinating to me because this is like not how my brain works (laughs) at all. (laughs) So it's like my, it's like mind blowing to me. And you shoot a lot of this on green screen, right? Yeah, I'm mostly doing green screen. Um, And it's funny that you say that, Ashley, because when I was learning how to do more composite work, I'm like, oh, there's no way I can't draw this out. Like there was so much just playing and hoping it would come to me. But then with the composite work, I felt like, the more I drew it out, the more I had a plan, the more it actually became easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I totally understand what you're saying, but it's a learned skill. I promise. Um, yeah. It eventually comes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's one of those things that's kind of been plaguing me for years because I don't, um, I guess I just don't see myself that way. And I can't decide am I not like, am I not interested in the sense that that just doesn't feel like my style? Or am I just, like, in- completely intimidated and therefore, like, don't want to fail and don't want to try, which is, like, a total Ashley move for those of you who don't know me. Like, I don't like necessarily <laughs> doing things I think I'm going to fail at ever since I was a little kid. So, um, yeah, it's just su- it's just super interesting talking to you, talking to – we've had Erica Manning on. We've had Nicole Carson Bonilla on. You all have super different processes, but it's, like, so amazing – I, I'm just so in awe of your vision and able to, uh, yeah, put these images together. It's really incredible. Thanks. So, so you said that when you're creating your, these vision boards, you're including makeup artists, you're including the model even. Um, when you're, for instance, I believe with Nicole, she had pointed out that she's finding specific people to fit the image that she's trying to create. Are you doing the same thing where you already have someone specific in mind and no one else can play that role? Or are you doing like a model call and potentially finding maybe one or two different people that can fit into that spot? That's a great question. It's really a combination of both. Um, I just did a shoot a couple weeks ago and there was this girl. um, She Actually, I interact with her fairly often, but I've never photographed her before. But she's always been in the back of my mind. I'm like, okay, when I find the right look, like I'm going to look for something that she can model in. Um, And my my makeup artist brought me a picture. I'm like, oh, I know the perfect model for this one. Um, So generally, it's not like nobody else could play the role. And more, I wouldn't say that I'm looking for a a specific person, but... um, like I did a moon goddess shoot and it had this beauty lighting and I knew it was going to be real dramatic. So I'm like, okay, I want somebody with light colored hair and really dramatic cheekbones. Um, so my makeup artist went through and we looked at some of the light colored, um, the blondes that we had photographed in the past. And we talked about their different face and how that would take makeup. Um, and then we ultimately chose a person and she was available for it. So it worked out. So I'd say it's kind of a mix of both of those. I also was wondering, like, 
beyond casting, you I think you mentioned you worked with costume designers. You also sometimes have these like really fantastical backgrounds, like thinking of the Ice Queen. That is, you know, it looks like you went to, I don't know, Norway or something <laughs> in Alaska. Um, and yeah, you look like you're in Frozen, basically, <laughs> like real life <laughs> Disney Frozen. Um, and there's a white wolf. So like, where are you getting, how are you taking the photos? Because I think for competition, right, you have to personally photograph all these elements, if I'm understanding that correctly. So yeah. how, do you, how do you get access to do that? So I have a folder on my computer called stock images um, and it is getting massive. I have like tens of thousands of images on it now. So basically um, wherever I go, if I'm going somewhere where the travel's unique or I'm not going to that location again, I bring my camera um, and even got a fancy little camera bag that looks like a purse now. So I don't have to look like a photographer everywhere. Um, so the Ice Castles one was actually um, like three years ago in Wisconsin. They had this thing and it was literally called Ice Castles and they had um, castles made out of ice. And it was way too cold to take a model there. But I'm like, someday I'm going to want these background images. Um, oh, wow. So it's That's funny awesome. because there were so many people there that the one I used in the Ice King and Queen shoot was actually this little hole in the wall where the sun was coming in. So it's like a... a Spot of ice like the size of my hand actually ended up being that whole background image. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. That's very like movie special effects. I feel like yeah. how they do like the miniatures and stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, um, I'm really into miniatures. Um, there are a lot of things that I can't afford. So like I have a little miniature bathtub and I have a little miniature um, like really ornate chair that I think is cool, and I use these things in my composites fairly often. Oh, that's hilarious! I saw I actually wow. saw that recently, where you had the uh, the the clawfoot bathtub. I'm like, she's mm-hmm. taking this little tiny shot <laughs> to, yep. to then turn it into a real size one. That is fantastic. So, do you yeah. shoot that with like a macro lens, or like how does that work? I do, and it's it's so funny because there's like um, depth of field issues and like trying to mm. find out what lens is going to be correct. Um, and I'm pretty sure that there's a formula to it, which I haven't exactly been able to write out yet. But yeah, I photograph a lot of the little things on macro and it has to be at like F22 because macro has such a shallow depth of field. It would be like photographing it at like F2 with a regular lens. Yeah. Um, so yeah, macro is a little bit different, but I'm starting to work through it. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like focus stacking. I have no idea how to do it, but I've heard, I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So then, what about like you said, costume designers? How are you finding costume designers to work with? <laughs> um, so I actually um, took up figure skating as an adult. <laughs> Oh, wow. Ironically. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and um, so actually a lot of my models are figure skaters in some way because they're fantastic. They have a lot of flexibility. They're very similar to dancers and that they mm-hmm. can hold poses. Um, but they also have all of their costumes custom made. Um, so luckily through them, I've been able to work with a lot of, well, with a couple of really good costume designers in my area. Oh, wow. And then are you, are you working with, like, wig designers, too? I know Sarai works with, like, a wig um, designer. Is that something? Because I've seen some of your images have also fantastical hair 
Yeah, it's my dream to work with a like professional wig designer someday, but at the moment I haven't been able to find one. So my makeup artist happens to be just incredibly amazing. Sometimes she will design like um I'll give her cones and stuff and she'll just start wrapping hair and it's it's pretty cool. Um or I'll kind of design them. Um so yeah, I haven't had a professional one yet, but someday. And when you're creating the the looks of it, are you sketching out the the entire like for instance a dress or the the ice king's outfit and then giving it to the costume designer or you give them free reign like here this is kind of what i have an idea of just go make it because costume design is so expensive and time consuming for the designer Mm -hmm. i will usually say hey tell me your vision like what can you also sell on etsy what do you also need photos what do you have started and then i usually let them run with it um just because that is such a big commitment that they're giving me okay yeah because i was wondering how like the financial aspect of this works like are they essentially donating time lending something are you buying it and using it in your studio like costume library I think you might have kind of already answered it sounds like they sell will sell it after the fact or can you just clarify so whenever I'm working with vendors be it costume or makeup or anything I always say like hey this is a creative thing I would love to have you be a part of it but Um, unfortunately I don't have the means for this project to pay. Now, if it's something where I'm getting paid, then I'm definitely paying everybody. And usually I'll just be upfront. Like, this is my budget. If you're willing to work within this budget, here's what we're going for. Um, so a lot of it is when it's just time for images, um, then it's whatever you want to do. If it benefits you, like, don't go don't do anything that's not going to benefit you is what I always tell them. Like I will give you, so like after the costume designer um, designed that, I got nice pictures on a stand for her. So she can also take that to Etsy. I made sure to photograph the back of the costume. So she has extra things for her and not just that final image. And same thing with the makeup artist. I got real good close-ups of the face for her Instagram. um, And I just check with them before the end of the shoot and say, Hey, is this everything you want for your portfolio as well? Okay, that hmm. that's really helpful, I think, because, I mean, even now, I still sometimes struggle with when I'm submitting something for awards, like, you know, sometimes I find a makeup artist who wants to, like, do it and have it be collaborative, but sometimes they're like, you know, this is my time, like, you're submit- it's, you're the one who wants to do this for your awards, you know, so it's, and, like, I value their time, so sometimes, like, I will pay yeah, their rate just because, like, I feel like you know, that's the fair thing to do. Like, they're not getting a, a potential, like, uh, you know, credit, toward accreditation mm-hmm. for this. I am. But, yeah, it just can be really tricky. Like, at what point do you pay people? How do you budget for these awards? I think, you know, they are an investment, right? So yep. how can you make it affordable for yourself? Yeah. And I think it's always just being grateful and letting those other vendors know how much you love working with them, but also really delivering on the product. Like if they're promised images within five days of the shoot, like you, you've got to go deliver on that. And there's a lot of people who want to, um, who need great photos of their stuff. So there's a lot of people willing to do it, but I also throw them paid work. Like for every creative shoot I do with my makeup artist, we probably do five paid ones together. Okay. Yeah. That, and that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. I was going to point out this, like by the sound of it, it is a good opportunity for people out there that are potentially looking to do something like this to 
find someone who might have an Etsy shop to trade time, maybe not just to create the the one dress and, and create the you know every angle for that one, but for any other outfit that they might have. You know, professional images are extremely important, especially when you're trying to sell. Mm-hmm. So for those that are out there trying to find a way to hack it to you know create these types of images, that it's a good way for people to you know find someone to trade with. So yeah. Um, so let's talk about how you, um, like shoot everything and put it all together. Like we talked about it a little bit, but it sounds like you're mostly just shooting all the elements in your studio on green screen and then also combining it with the stock library that you built up over time. But like, how do you make sure the light matches? Cause I, I'm thinking about your like ice queen shoot and you said that that was like a very, you know, specific the sun was coming through in a certain way now you're like going to light all the models and everything like how do you keep it consistent yeah that is a hard thing because there are a lot of images that um just don't work when I'm I usually will try to find my background before the shoot day because if I have the background then I know okay there's a light coming in from the left and one from behind on the right so I need to mimic that in studio. It is much more difficult when I photograph the model and then try to find a background to go into it. Um, The Ice King and Queen was a little bit different because I knew it was going to be snow and snow basically just lights you up from every single angle. Oh okay yeah that makes sense. So, yeah, it took me a while to find the right background for that. Um, But, yeah, eventually it worked out. And then, like, um, I don't know which one it was, but yesterday I was watching one of your behind-the-scenes. It was like a butterfly skirt. I don't know exactly what the title was, but um, I was watching one of your behind-the-scenes where you were kind of putting everything together, and it was, like, on a green screen, and then you, like, brought in a – it almost looked like a textured background and all this stuff. So that's something that you're – kind of pre-planning also as well where you've picked the background out before because it looked more directional in that one yeah and you can tell too like um if the more of this scene it shows the more I pre-planned it the closer in it is there's probably I I didn't do as much planning so if it's like (laughs) if the feet are in there I plan that whole thing out if there's no feet it was a lot easier to do and it might be a variation from my original plan Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) So on the day of the shoot and you're, you start off the day and you have the series in mind and you have it played out. How are you starting the shoot though? Are you, do you have a shot list that you're like, look, there's this specific image that I know that I can accomplish and this is the most important one. So I start here and move from there. Or what does that process look like on the day of the shoot? Okay, so typically I will give the model a warm-up. I don't like, I like working with professional models who are working every day, but a lot of the models that I find we get to work with are semi-professional and they just kind of move on their own and they move a little too much. So I actually prefer to work with regular people where I can sculpt them, where they're not going to move at all unless I tell them to. So usually we'll do kind of a warm-up shot. And that's just kind of getting the nerves out, getting the weird facial expressions, getting that tension out of the face. Um, And once I see that the model's warmed up, and it's different. I mean, some people are ready to go in three minutes of shooting and other people take 15. 
mm-hmm. but once I see that they're ready to go, then we'll go into that shot that I've drawn and sketched out and the one that we're really going for. Um, and so once I find that I've gotten that shot, then I'll move into close-ups and anything else for the makeup artists or any other vendors, what they need. And then I will take the last five or ten minutes and just kind of play and see if there's something else that I might get that might work for a different composite in the future. Um, a lot of one thing that I've learned recently, especially when working with just regular people for these kind of fantasy shoots, is you've got to nail the expression. And I'm learning to pose my models less in a pose, but more like a director would pose an actor. So, um, you know, oh, there's a little bird on your finger and I want you to look over to that little bird. And now you look up and you see the sun over there. Or, you know, um, you just walked into this room and you're feeling really cold. So different, different emotions. So rather than try and coach out a facial expression, I'm giving them emotions to try and feel. And it has really helped things. Mm, I love that. Um, that's that's really good advice. Because I was I've, like this whole conversation. It just reminds me so much about filmmaking, like everything that you're talking about from <laughs> going back to like the miniatures or, <laughs> you know, like shooting on a green screen, but like also the storytelling and all the details and like the kind of, for lack of a better word, like set design thinking back to that Copernicus shot where you're talking about all the different books that are in the background. So I love that you're also kind of taking a filmmaking approach to how you're coaching your models, whether they're professional models or just real people. I think that's, I think that's also such an amazing thing for um, everyone on real photo shoots. That's kind of always the way that I've done boudoir shoots is like, I will act it out for them and I'll be like, you're flirting with someone. You're, you know, like I'll try to coach them into what it feels like to be sexy. Right. Um, So, but I don't just say like, you know, slap your hand to your like collarbone or whatever. I try to give them like a reason to be doing it. Um, So I think that that's, I think that that's really helpful and really cool. Yeah. I think it makes them feel a lot more comfortable too. Yeah, and I think it gives, like, a reason for it, too. You know, like, thinking about, again, the hand on the collarbone, like, I'm always, like, it's like you're brushing your hair, like, you're brushing your hair off your chest, you're flirting, you're um, lightly, like, feeling what it feels like to touch your own skin. You know, like, those kinds of things are a lot more interesting than just, like, put your hand here, like, where mm-hmm. you're, like, why would I do that? <laughs> like, yep. when do I do this? <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> So as you're going through this process, the warming up, and then you, know, you start taking the these shots, how do you know that you've reached the one, the one image that you know, like, this is it, now it's time for me to move on to switching up to the set or to a different image? I, I almost feel like I feel it. So... I'm, a lot of shoots that I've done recently have been like, oh, that's the one. Like it flashed. I saw the light in the eyes. I saw it. I know that's the one. We'll take another five or ten extra shots. But even when I go back in like the culling, it's still that one. I'm like, oh, I remember feeling this one. I remember like there was just a different almost energy about it, which I didn't really believe in that kind of energy stuff and attraction until I started listening to Sue Bryce education. <laughs> and then you started feeling like, it yourself. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there, there literally is something to that. And I feel like as photographers, um, the better I get, especially with people's expressions, like you photograph somebody's soul. And in order to get that, like they've completely let their guard down, like 
I have to let my guard down as the photographer. And as I put that energy out there, they mirror that energy back. Um, and it's weird, but it's almost like a feeling. I just feel when we've got the right one. I love that. So back to like, once you've found your shot, um, are you then like shooting on the same day, all the little other elements, or is that something that like you'll do on another day so that you don't have too much on your plate all at one time? If there are elements that I know I need, like for sure in there, then I try to get as many on that same. I'll do it. Like people start packing up and they're done. And then I'll photograph additional elements while my lights are still set up while I'm still at that same camera height, while I still have that same um, perspective on my lens. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes there are things I'm like, oh, I like the mirror in the ice queen shoot. I really need a mirror in here. So I looked at the image. I'm like, okay, we're going to set the mirror about this angle. I'm going to try this millimeter lens. Um, and I'm getting better at that, just knowing the right angles that'll get it into the image. So basically, if I forget, it's later. If we know it's going in there, I do that <laughs> all on the same day. <laughs> so like, how much time do you think the whole shoot takes? The actual shooting time, I was telling someone the other day, typically I'm like 20, 40 minutes max on most oh, shoots. so mm -hmm. quick. So yeah, and that's yeah. because of all the pre-planning. It's like we know when we've got it. Once the model's warmed up, it's it's not hard. So it's like because you know you're looking for this very specific shot and you know you have that feeling when you have the one, it's like you don't need to keep exploring necessarily and keep like diving into yes, it. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's when it was when I started actually drawing and doing all this pre-planning work and I realized that was making my post-processing so much easier and faster. That was really the turning point for me. I'm like, okay, I've got to pre-design more. Mm hmm. That's really, that's really, I think, interesting, because I would have assumed that it would take a lot longer <laughs> to do a mm -hmm. shoot like this. And it sounds like in some ways, it might be even quicker than like a client. It It is. And sometimes I just want to keep shooting because I feel so bad because everyone spent three hours in hair and makeup. <laughs> and now we're done in 20 minutes. So <laughs> yeah, it goes by pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you a, a bit about like your lighting setup, for instance. Um, do you try to, when you do your, your different pieces, do you try to stay within a certain setup that you're comfortable with something that you feel that stays on brand with who you are as an artist, or are you switching up your lighting just depending on, you know, this one's dark and moody, this one's bright and airy. Um, do you switch it up like that? Or you try to stay within something that you feel is more on brand for you? Um, I wouldn't say necessarily on brand for me, but I would say on brand for the series I'm creating. So the Finding My Voice, the Cage Next series, I used like a butterfly light that really cut in the cheekbones in almost every shot. Um, so that kind of beauty butterfly light um, where you get those deep shadows in the cheekbones are my most common light. It's like my favorite, but I also do a lot of Rembrandt lighting. Um, but then, of course, like when I did the COVID series, those were outdoor images for all of them. So those were kind of a, a boring flat light that just kind of matched the scenery. Mm, okay. And another thing I want to ask you is, since you are both the photographer as well as the retoucher, is there anything that you are doing that you feel, uh, anything that you're looking for to make the retouching process early, uh, easier on you later on? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, 
Not particularly, because a lot of the, I, I feel like a lot of the flaws that somebody might have that I want to retouch out, I'm trying to get right in camera. Um, this past year, I've worked with a lot of really young people who didn't have very many flaws. And the um, COVID series, I had a, a mix of ages, but that was all really flat lighting and all of those. So I guess not particularly. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I don't know. Oh, all right, no worries. That was a good question. <laughs> okay. So if if in talking about the the retouching and the things that you might potentially look for, um, I want to hop into into your post-processing workflow, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about your training with Adobe. It's something that you told us is uh, you are an Adobe Photoshop certified expert. What did yeah. you have to do to get certified and how does that translate over into what it is that you're doing? So um, I decided to get that certification in 2019. Um, so it was like the end of 2019. 2018, early 2019 is when I really started studying for that. That's when I discovered that Adobe did have a, a test that you could take where you could be, um, I believe they have, it might be called an associate is the lower level, but then there's Adobe ACE, which stands for Adobe Certified Expert, and that's the highest level you can go. So um, basically, I did a lot of research on um, Adobe Photoshop, and I did a lot of Googling. There's some people out there that are teaching courses and have sample tests and things specifically for this exam. Um, and I will have to preface, this was in 2019, so I'm not too sure how that process has changed. I haven't looked into it since then. Mm -hmm. um, but then, um, luckily, I'm in a, a fairly populated area. There was one of my local colleges where that was an option for a test I could take. And I had to go in there just like a, a college exam, show my ID and everything. Um, and it was, it wasn't... <laughs> It wasn't a huge test. I want to say it might have been under 100 questions. Um, and it was on everything Photoshop and wow. like printing and a, a lot of things that I don't use anymore. But diving into Photoshop to that level really helped speed up my production process because it's like, oh, I've been doing it like this, but here's four other ways that I could also do the exact same thing. And these might be faster in certain situations. Mm. Um, so that was one of the best things. Studying for that exam, it was a beast. Um, but studying for that exam really upped my skill level in Photoshop. So is this like a paper exam or you like go into Photoshop and show them that, you know, like, how does that work? That's a great question. So in 2019, it was a computer exam and it was a combination. There were multiple choice questions. There were also um, like fill in the blank questions. And then there was a portion of the exam where it was in Photoshop where it had to actually demonstrate something. So it's a combination. Wow, it feels like a high school AP test. I'm like, yeah. I was just thinking about it. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Started sweating just thinking I, about it. Oh my! I, I, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so, but that's uh, awesome, though, that you got that certification. So let, let's go ahead and actually just jump into your workflow. Um, so you got all your images. You've called everything together. What is, what is your starting point then in your retouching? Where do you focus on? Uh, is it the master image that you said that you felt was right and then figuring out what to do with it? Or how does that go about? Yeah, usually I will just dive into my 
exact image that I want. Um, if it's something that's really surreal, like the moon goddess shoot that I did, she's actually coming out of the water in the lake. Before I ever shot her, I did several practice images with other pictures that I thought might be kind of similar. So I would know, am I going to need to actually put this dress in water? Can I Photoshop it where it looks in water? Um, so I answered a lot of those questions beforehand. But generally, I will go right to that main image that I was looking for starting first. Um, I've learned to use uh, what are they called? Smart objects. <laughs> so I will retouch everything and then convert it to a smart object and then pull that smart object in. So if I go back and realize, oh, I over, I over smooth oh. the skin, I can go back into that smart object again and unsmooth the skin, if that makes sense. All my layers are still there. Oh, oh. that is awesome. Mm -hmm. so, so wait a minute. Are you taking... <laughs> So you have the master image, you have a separate file, let's say for instance your uh, clawfoot bathtub mm -hmm. that, you, that you shot. Are you retouching that in its own separate file, converting it into a smart object, and then transferring it over into the main? Exactly. You got it. Okay. Wow, yeah. our minds are blown over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned this because I'm very indecisive. And the amount of times where I said, ah, oh, I wish I could go back and I'm starting over once I realized I could do that in a smart object, also because of the exam, um, that's really helped things. And when you're doing it in the original file, not in the master file, but the original file of, say, the bathtub, mm -hmm. is it transferring over the information from that file over to the master where you have copied over the smart object? Yes. And then if I go back and I, um, so you can right click on your smart object in the layers and then you can edit the smart object. And then when you save that smart object, it updates in the master file. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You guys want to know something else I just discovered? Sure. Uh, <laughs> something, something I should have known because this was also in the exam, but um, the libraries. I've always known about libraries. I've only always known them in theory. And a few months ago, I watched a photographer use the libraries. And I'm like kicking myself for not doing this for years. So the libraries, you can take your cutout objects and you can actually save them to the library so they're always there. So now I'm putting in my candles, which I use all the time, and like my skulls and little butterflies. I've saved those into the library as smart objects. So rather than go find them, I just pull them out from the library into my document. They're already cut out. It's glorious. Oh, And that's wow. because yeah. of the Creative Cloud uh, s system, correct? Yes, I believe so. I have to look at my library and see if I've got my library on the where I could go to multiple computers, but I really just have one main editing computer. So, but yeah, that's the theory that the library can be on the cloud and you can use it anywhere. You can share it with multiple people. It's kind of cool. Mind blowing. Who <laughs> knew? Yeah, I'm sitting here like, oh, like she was describing it. <laughs> so, so, you've been working on the image. How many times are you starting and stopping on the image, revisiting it, looking at a different direction? turning it upside down? Are you doing anything like that to kind of make sure that you're going in the right direction? Yeah, I'm doing all those things. So usually the main, I mean, obviously it depends on how elaborate it is, but usually the main image I will just do in one go, 80% um, of the way there. And then after that is where the process really slows down because it's like, okay, I know this is a little bit off, 
but my brain is not computing as to why it's a little bit off. So I just kind of need to sit with it. Maybe tomorrow I'll understand. So like that first chunk Mm -hmm. goes really fast, but then like um, the color just tweaking every little perspective. Oh, there's a little bright spot over here and it's bringing my eye. That usually takes a few days of just opening it up again and again. Okay. So, um, when you're doing that, when you're having to like open it up multiple times, like how do you know that you're done? Cause that's like the part that really <laughs> is confusing to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a tough question. Luckily I have a lot of really good friends in this industry. So my husband is actually a photographer as well. Oh um, yeah. And he is an incredible photographer and it is great to have somebody to just bounce ideas off of. Um, and it's really nice too. Cause I can say, Hey Jeff, I want a Rembrandt lighting on this and I want to kick her on the back. And he just, he'll go and set up lights and it's just, um, and he'll also be like, you didn't want that lighting exactly like that. Um, so it's nice to have another set of eyes and often I will just let him look at something for a while. Um, and sometimes we'll print things out and circle it or hang it upside down. We do, we do all that for final tweaks. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, have you ever invested all this time into a creative project, like, and then just not been super, like, happy with it in the end? Or are you always, like, super invested in, like, yes, this is it. I love this. <laughs> I, yes. Okay, I've got two two answers to that question. So there have been a couple of shoots where um, I did this little girl, and she's in this lake on a bed. And it's kind of, it's almost reminiscent of the movie Tangled with all the lanterns around. Mm -hmm. Um, So I shot, yeah, (laughs) I got everyone together and I shot this image and I was like, this is going to be awesome. And this was probably about three years ago. And then I could not get that composite together and I was upset about it. Um, It took me another year and a half of learning different Photoshop skills. And once I learned how to do painting in Photoshop, that's what I realized that image needed. And I came back and was able to finish that image um, a year and a half later. So generally, I try not to bite off more than I can chew like that anymore, because especially when people are expecting the image, um, which is why like with the moon goddess, I tested that with other similar images before I even did the shoot to make sure it wasn't something that was beyond my skill level. Sorry, can you explain to me what painting in Photoshop means? (laughs) Um, Actually, literally just that is um, making it look like a painting. So I'm realizing some of these concepts are so surreal and so into the realm of fantasy that in a in an image that looks like an actual photograph, it's never going to quite come together because it's so fantastical that it needs to look more like a painting or a drawing. Um, so using the mixture brush, you can go in and actually add brush strokes and make it look like a painting rather than a photograph. And I'm finding that's kind of pulling in some of those crazy surreal aspects into looking like looking correct, basically. Oh, wow. So did you, for instance, the, I believe it's a million dreams are keeping me awake. That's the, the piece, uh, where you have the lanterns and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Did you photograph something and then paint over it with mixer brush? Yep. So I got all those elements in there. It looked like a composite, but still looked like a composite. It just didn't quite look accurate because you can't, in photography, you can't get a night scene and have the lanterns properly exposed and the girl's face. Like it just, 
the photography doesn't work like that. So as I was trying to make it a photograph, it wasn't coming together. So then once I took it and started adding the brush strokes and started it making look more like a painting drawing, it, it looked correct. That's really, that's really good advice. Cause I mean, yeah, that like, how would someone solve that problem? So I'm really <laughs> glad you like mentioned that. <laughs> Let's hop over to awards, and considering that you've entered both digital awards like the Portrait Masters, as well as print awards like WPPI, uh, do you have anything that you do differently or things that you take into consideration when retouching for either digital or for print? Mm-hmm, that's a great question. Um, Print. I've been competing in print for a long time. WPPI was the only competition that I even knew about, um, and that was always print. And I've been knocked down for poor printing so many times. Um, and now we do our own printing, so my husband prints everything for me, and we've been getting fantastic results. But when it's a print versus a digital competition, so the digital has the the screen, which is actually lit up. It's kind of like backlit. So you're seeing more details in blacks than you typically will in print competition. So for print competition, I'm really watching my blacks. A common thing that you will hear them take off points for is, oh, the blacks are muddied. I can't see details in the shadows. I hear that all the time. Um, so just kind of knowing what range and what limitations I have on, in the printer and watching... Um, Things like color, color cast shows up a lot more. You get more taken off for it in a print than a digital. Mm. Banding. Banding's another one. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Banding's hard to get rid of in print. How so, do you – so, like, w- let's talk about banding for a second. Cause, but in digital, it's easier to get rid of. Like, it doesn't show as much. I, that's how I feel. There are things where um, when I really have a lot of – I'd say it's mostly in the darks, although I've seen banding other places um, – it'll look beautiful on my screen and I print it out. I'm like, Oh, I see that, that range of colors. It's almost like a a pixelated. It's showing it's in the gradients, I guess is what it's mostly in. It doesn't have that smooth gradient. So yeah, that's something you'll see more often in print and you didn't realize, which is the importance of doing test prints and not just sending them right to the lab over to the competition. Okay, yeah, because I've experienced banding when I was a wedding photographer a lot in, like, skies. Um, Mm -hmm. And it would just be, like, the most frustrating thing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that is hard. So last year at WPPI, I sat in during the judging, and it was fascinating to see what they were doing and what they were talking about, Um, whether that was the type of paper, the weight of the paper, um, the mat that goes around it. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you find the information to figure out what works? Is it trial and error? Are you printing everything from a whole bunch of labs and seeing what works the best? Or how are you going about that? That's a good question. So um, you have to research the competition because different competitions are looking for different things. And as far as I am aware, WPPI is one of the last print competitions um, in existence. Most places have moved to digital, which actually I think is kind of sad. So I can tell you a lot about WPPI is that they're always looking for a very clean mat. You can go on their website um, and Jerry Gihonis talks about how to mat the image and what the judges are looking for, something that's not distracting. That was a big mistake I made the first time I did it. I spent all this extra money getting colored mats and beveled edges with gold and um, they were just looking for a simple mat that drew your attention to the image. Um, So that was huge. I always try to get 
um, research the competition that you're about to enter is my advice for that. But then as far as the actual printing goes, you have to find somebody that you trust. And to do that, I would just call the labs and see, like, is it a specific person that's going to be printing? Do they have a specific person that prints just for print competition? Because a proper printer is going to look at the blacks and say, oh, there's no details in here. We need to lighten this up. Or, oh, this is casting way too magenta. That's not how it's supposed to be. We need to add a little green. Um, So a proper printer will know those things. Are there any particular prints shops or labs that you feel comfortable with or maybe recommendations that might be able to help out in that regard? Oh, that's a good question, too. Um, I I have to say no because we were getting dinged on every every single image because of print quality. So that's the exact reason we bought the printer. Um, I know I've heard of some real good people. Um, I've got a friend in San Diego. His name is Yannick Vasio. And he does printing specifically for print competition. I haven't used him personally, but I know him. And I know when he does something, he does it to the nth degree. So I would imagine he would be probably my first recommendation to try. Mm. And if you're doing it all on your own, what printer did you choose to work with then? Gotcha. So we got a Canon. um, And that pretty much has, we did a little bit of research, but also we bought it at a trade show. Um, which if you're going to buy a printer, but now everyone will probably jump at it at the trade shows. Um, when, when you're at a trade show, they have all this extra ink and they don't want to have to ship the paper back. They don't want to have to ship the entire printer back. So you can get things like, oh, you can have all the extra ink left over that we're not printing here at the trade show. And you can also have all our extra paper. So there are some deals you can get on printers at trade shows. Um, And then you have to really get your printer and your monitor calibrated. Um, And you have to get a proper profile for the print paper that you're going to use. There's a company called um, Freestyle, and it's run by Eric Joseph. And as far as everybody I've talked to, there is not anybody I've met or seen in the world that has as much knowledge on printing and different types of paper than Eric Joseph. He really is um, your go-to guy if you want to get into printing and learning how to calibrate your machines and getting it all working. He says he provides printing psychotherapy because um, <laughs> it can be a little intimidating at first, but he's really good at walking you through it. Now, is this one of those large, large printers where you almost need like a garage or like an extra? Because I live in a like town where real estate is crazy expensive and like I live in a 1200 square foot condo with no garage. So like for me, getting a printer the size of a room is just like... Not ever happening. <laughs> so well, that's funny because everyone thinks ours is a barbecue when they come over. They're like, oh, you've got a barbecue oh, in here. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we ultimately did go with a large one because I often sell 24 by 36 inch prints to my customers. So okay. we went with one that could print that because I was like, if we get smaller and still have to order our big ones from the lab, it's, it's not really useful for us. Um, If you're wanting to do it just for print competition, there's no reason. I mean, you're going to get the same quality even in a small printer. And as long as you have the inkjet, no? The the Pro 2000 starts the professional. So the Pro 2000 starts the professional. So that that was my husband, Jeff. He does all the printing. I guess. (laughs) Um, but you can get good results with a smaller printer. And when you're printing for print comp, um, 
16 by 20 is usually the mat size. So at WPPI, you have to have a minimum of 10 inches of print on one side. So, um, you know, it's not actually that large that you're printing, if that makes sense. Okay, so it might just be like an 8 by 10 or an 11 by 14. It's not like this giant print that you're Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Got it. Got it. So, Rachel, last year at WPPI, they announced the final three winners of the CGI Pro Print and Billboard campaign, where they mm-hmm. chose 10 photographers to display their work on a billboard all across the country. So I was at the table right next to you as you won, and by the look of your face, you weren't <laughs> expecting it. What did it feel like to win the award, to go on stage, and did you have a, a speech already prepared, and were you ready to give it in front of everyone? <laughs> That's such a great question, Kevin. Um, I was shocked because, so that is not a typical regular award. That was something that they did. um, I don't know if they're going to continue to do it, but that was something they did just for 2021. Um, So I had read about that award in the rules, but I just kind of glossed over it because I was like, okay, we're going for first, second, or third here. Um, And I scored a gold, so I knew I was a contender for first, second, or third, and then that didn't happen. Um, well, I got second place, but that doesn't bring you on stage. So I was shocked when they announced my name for that. Um, yeah, and it was really quite, quite the surreal moment. Um, you know, I didn't have anything prepared cause I wasn't exactly sure what I was, what I'd won. It wasn't an award that had come to mind. So, um, doing the manifesting thing and now I've got some speeches prepared for, <laughs> for what happens again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just have some baseline speeches ready. Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so will you be entering any new pieces into the awards for this year, whether that's for the portrait masters or WPPI? That's a great question too. I have been looking at that all morning. Um, at the moment we are going back and forth. I can't decide which ones to enter. I've got a bunch of, um, entries that I've purchased for WPPI. So that's the other thing. WPPI is unique in that you can purchase your entries early, but you don't have to actually send them in. They have to be postmarked by February 1st. Um, And there is a discount for purchasing early. So I've purchased them and now we're just trying to narrow it down to which ones are actually going into the contest. So yeah, the answer is yes. Awesome. (laughs) So to wrap it up, what advice do you have for people out there that are considering entering for any of these awards? Oh my gosh. It is the single best education that I have ever received. Um, especially when you can attend a live judging like WPPI. So they actually have the judges in the room and they make a comment on every single image. So you might be tempted to think, oh, I just want feedback on my own image. But when you see them saying different comments and even often the same kinds of comments on image after image, um, it really just improves everything. And, you know, we'll we'll also shoot weddings and other types of photography, but I'm pulling the knowledge that I've learned and the things that I've heard judges say from print competition, like, oh, you don't want to show the back of the hand. That's a huge one. They say, you got to show the side of the hand. So I'm always, you know, posing the bride for the side of the hand. Um, and it just, it really manifests itself in all of my work. Um, if you have the opportunity to do it, um, do a little research and don't get discouraged because it takes a little bit of time before you realize what the judges are looking for. Um, but absolutely do it. If you have the opportunity to go attend the live judging, um, it'll be worth it tenfold. I promise. That's fantastic. Well, Rachel, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on with us today. 
Um, but before we let you go, can you please share with us your different social pages? That way people know where to find you. Yes, I am Rachel Owen 613 on pretty much everything. Um, ra- random story. I was born on June 13th, weighing six pounds, 13 ounces. And like all of the 613 things have in my birthday, it's kind of crazy story. Um, so I'm Rachel, <laughs> Rachel Owen 613 on um, everything. Well, that is awesome. Everyone, please, please, please be sure to go follow Rachel. And make sure to follow the Portrait System on Instagram and on Facebook as well. Be sure to check out the blog posts that are associated with our Clubhouse interviews at subriceeducation.com forward slash blog. And you can also follow Ashley on Instagram at Ashley Taylor Portrait. That is A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H. And you can find me there as poplight underscore photography. If you are a member of Subrice Education and you have any more questions for Rachel, Ashley, or myself, please go tag us in a post in the SBE Members Only Facebook group. And if you are not a member of Subrice Education and you are interested in learning more about how it can help your business succeed, email Ella with support at support at subriceeducation.com. Thank you for joining us and hope we can see us next week. Thanks again for listening today. And don't forget, you can listen to either me or our special guests every Friday on Clubhouse at 11 a.m. Pacific. Thank you so much for listening to the Portrait System Podcast. Your five-star reviews really help us to continue what we do. So if you like listening, would you mind giving us a review wherever you listen? I also encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can find all of the education you need to be a successful photographer. There are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 90-Day Startup Challenge plus so many downloads showing hundreds of different poses. We have to-do checklists for your business lighting PDFs, I mean truly everything to help make you a better photographer and to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.